Hello and welcome to BWB Extra. This week, we continue our conversation with Ted George from Cleos Advisory, where we explore one of his areas of passionate expertise, African emerging markets. We speak about Ted's economic work in Africa and hear about his abundance of experiences and his knowledge about the continent, which have led him to become a leading expert and spokesperson. What's holding Africa back and how is it excelling? What's today's definition of an African entrepreneur? Should the rest of the world be paying more attention? Welcome to Africa's Innovation. A digital economy index of Africa. So what what are the metrics of the index? Well, essentially, look, the thing is, what you're trying to do is track how is an economy developing. And the thing is, if you look at some of the indicators of the old days, you go back 20 years, everyone's like, how many fixed landlines are there? Nowadays, completely (laughs) irrelevant, okay, right? So the thing is, it's all about mobile phones. How are people using them? Mm. And also, is the network out there, cash in, cash out? If you're living in a rural area, can you go to a local um, kiosk, uh, put cash in and get mobile money. So all those sort of metrics, but also e-government, how, how can you get visas online? Mm. There are many African countries you can. I mean, Kenya, Cote d'Ivoire, very developed. Others, it's still forms you've got to pick up from the post office. So, you know, it's really interesting. You measure all of that. And what we hope we can do with the index is actually say to the countries, this is where you need to focus your efforts. It might be more on use of internet. It might be more on entrepreneurship. But the idea is to try and cover it and give them good data because there's so much bad data out there if you're making decisions. You need to actually have some good data to work on so you can decide what to focus on when you build a digital economy. Who, who, who do you do this with? Is the index backed by someone? or Yes, yeah, so it's um, Smart Africa, which is um, part of the African Union, and they're basically a um, very large uh, project essentially trying to digitalize Africa and get to a single digital market. And it's a project which is backed by GIZ, the German Development Agency, various other partners, and I'm one person um, in a team uh, who are working on this. And my key thing is I'm pulling together the reports and the strategic reports. But um, it's uh, very complex, but really interesting. And so far, engagement from six countries, but we hope it could go up to 10 or even 15. How long do you think it's going to take? Well, we already have a prototype of the index. We had a fantastic workshop actually last week in uh, Kenya um, with all the different countries. Tricky to travel with COVID, but it can yeah. be done. Uh, just imagine uh, that you're going to do an entire trip with a bag on your head. And, you know, that's roughly what it's like. Well, I'm just saying wearing a mask in a really hot tropical country when you're giving training for an hour. But the thing is, I think that what's interesting is that what we're hoping is that uh, what what can be done with the index and with the strategic report is that the various different ministries who actually have to come up with policies can use this and can base it on good information. And we're trying to get African data, you know, uh, because at the moment, if it's something like the ITU, the World Bank, very often they're using estimates. It's not approved by the countries. So the idea is something that they own and they can really understand. Africa's uh, got good mobile phone adoption now, doesn't it? And everyone's got a mobile. What what holds Africa back? Is it the sheer logistics? I mean, you know. Well, it's actually really simple stuff because you're right. It's I mean, a lot of countries it's over 100% penetration. So that means more SIM cards than people. Now, if you bear in mind, a lot of people have multiple SIM cards. It's still, though, 90% of the population. It's two things, which, or okay, three key things are holding it back. One is power to recharge your mobile phone. If you're going to have to drive for half an hour, go somewhere to recharge it, et cetera, you can't use it. So that's a big one. But why every other country has had such a demand for power? Why is the infrastructure not being built? I know that's like a, like a dumb question, but... It's probably the trillion dollar question maybe indeed but the thing is it's so expensive because this other thing is if you think if you want to connect someone to uh, an electricity connection you have to get the power lines out there and actually put a power line into their house and if they actually default and you cut off the power 
You've still spent all that money to put it in, and that's totally dead. So yeah. distributed power is one of the ways to go, where you get your own solar unit, which is just for the house, and they're getting better and better the whole time, and you power it yourself. So you actually build up a distributed power network. You don't need to connect I've them seen to this. the network. They, sort of, they drop in a 24-foot container that's got sort of everything in it, and a battery, and a thing, and a solar power, and stuff like that. Well, that's on a big scale, right? So right. you can do that. B-Box do that. You can do a village or something like that. But no, I'm talking individual households. And the fact is, you can afford to buy this. There are multiple companies. Um, Azuri Technologies uh, and Copa is a big one. Um, I mean, there are lots of them. The idea is if you're a, an African household, you buy one of these units, you put down a small amount of money, and then every day you make a micropayment via mobile, roughly the same amount you would have spent on kerosene and electricity to recharge your mobile. But after, let's say, 18 months, you own the unit. And then okay. you can start buying a television and other things like that. So the thing is, it, it, places that would never get electricity, you can do it now with the distributed power model. Is this what we're talking about when we say disruptive technologies? Absolutely. Because a personal bugbear of mine is the word disruptive, because I work with a lot of startups and every single startup is apparently disruptive. And it drives me absolutely mental because I think we've got to the point where it means absolutely nothing. Yeah. Well, I think actually you've, you've hit the nail on the head because I think the first thing and the only thing to understand about disruptive technology is it's not about the technology. It's about the disruption. The technology is the shiny keys. It's the sexy bit. Oh, look at this. We've got satellite data. We've got drones. We've got nanotechnology. But the bottom point is, is it disrupting? If someone comes and says, oh, we've got this amazing new platform and it's just like, it's even more amazing than the last one. It's no different at all. It adds no value. And there are many disruptions out there where the technology is intended to go out of date. A really interesting example is um, a French company, which was essentially trying to get people who just had, you know, dumb old um, uh, feature phones to be able to make mobile payments because a lot of people hadn't up upgraded that point to smartphones. You need to speak to my mother, but carry yes, on. Yes. Well, this is a great thing for her. So I need to remember the name of the company. But um, uh, essentially how it worked um, is that if you think about a telephone, what is the one standard thing that every single telephone telephone has had since it was ever invented, the telephone. Some twat on the end of it. <laughs> Indeed. And that twat is, 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 is exuding sound. Okay, Sound yeah. is what I was going to say. Yeah, so they all have sound. So this is how it works. Someone registers with the company, and then when you go to buy something with a participating vendor, they have a smartphone with the app. You tell them your phone number, and they punch in the amount of money as well. That sends a message to Central HQ, who then calls the telephone of the person buying it. And when they answer, it is playing music and encrypted in the music is the authentication. Oh, they hold it up to the, uh, the, the pay machine, beep, authentication done, That's and brilliant. they made a mobile payment. Well, apparently, yeah. Yeah, generally, we sort of overlook, but there's loads you can do with GPRS and everything. You know, there's people who build payment systems on them and stuff, and we kind of we kind of skip past it. By the time sort of we got to there, we we've moved past GPRS. We were on what were we on three G? I don't know, one G exactly. But this, I think, gets back to the point that um, there are a lot of existing technologies which are underused. If you take USSD, right, which is just simple encrypted text that you would send with simple two G, that is the basis for the M-Pesa payment platform in Africa. So that's how most people transact. And the thing is, you can put anything on the back of a 2G signal with an encrypted text. So there was a company, Irafit, in Nigeria, and they eventually, they had a widget. The idea is you put your credit card in, punch it in, it connects to the phone, and that sends an encrypted text and gets one back, which is the authentication which means anyone with a mobile phone who registers could actually take credit card payments. So where are people charging their mobile phones at the moment? Well, I live, I'm, I'm walking 20 miles to charge my mobile. Sure, it might be your neighbor. It might be, yes. I mean, sometimes, particularly if you live in quite a remote area or like one of the, on one of the farms, you might get, uh, you know, get on a motorbike, go 20 miles into the village, and then you wait for three hours while it is recharging. 
If you have that at your home, of course, you can not only recharge your own phones, you can charge your neighbors to recharge theirs. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And it's an everyone gains thing because this whole thing about as soon as then you got the charge phone, that means you could basically do your payments by mobile. So you don't have to go into the bank, which could be half a day, right? And all that stuff can be spent. So it's just things that we take for granted. It was assumed that these remote places could never have them. You can. It's just you got to put the technology together in the right way. And maybe that gets back to your point about disruptive technology. Mm. When I say it's not about the tech, it's not even about new tech. It's about taking tech and putting it together in a different way. And also changing changing the sort of sector or industry that that tech is for, rather than the tech itself doing something in a different way. Completely. And so it's got to be better. And that's one of the problems with uh, with cryptos and blockchain, because they're always saying this is going to be something that we're going to use. But existing payment systems are actually very good. So yeah, yeah. It's, there's got to be a much more compelling reason than just like, I can do it and no one sees what I'm doing, because that sounds kind of criminal to me. The other thing that bugs me is it's like, so like there's something missing in the equation. It's like, ever since I've been alive, for hundreds of years now, it's been like, oh, the development of Africa. And it's like, okay, so there's a couple of things. The map gives us a false impression. Africa is enormous. When you see one of those maps where it's actually adjusted for the shape of the globe, yeah, the Africa's like, yeah. fucking, Instead of the it's, like, it's yeah. like 10 times the size it's the of everything. It's a brilliant West Wing episode that if you haven't watched it, you have to watch. Well, when they find the real map. Yeah. And, like, and he's like, I know you've got questions. She's like, yeah, where's New York? <laughs> it's, just like, it's enormous. Okay. Mm-hmm. One. Two, and this is almost a, maybe a wrong thing to say, but certainly if you map where productivity is in the temperature, once it gets hot, you know, really hot, then generally productivity tends to go down. So the middle of the world. I mean, this is these are ridiculous views, but I'm just like, what it. What is, what is the barrier? I mean, the, the other thing they say is the worst thing that ever happened was live aid, you know, and how our perception of Africa, even how we're talking about it now, it's almost like it's, it's a charity thing. And it's like, there's something missing. It's like, we need like, I don't know. Do you, can you put a finger on, you know? Absolutely. Well, I think the whole thing is exactly as you said, the narrative is all just completely wrong there. We've all been completely conditioned. Africa, about the only time it's ever on the news, it's always at a disaster or some kind of famine or a war, etc. And yeah, things like uh, Live Aid, which were good on one level and terrible on the other, you know. So the thing is, you've got to give Africa some agency. I think the thing that everyone's found when you go to Africa the first time is you're just blown away by mm-hmm. the level of innovation and entrepreneurship going on there. And I tell you, there are mega cities out there. There are mega companies as well. What's and, what's yeah. cutting edge? Where's the place to go, do you think? Uh, well, I mean, look, I mean, all, all, all the sort of big cities. I mean, East Africa is certainly the one which is probably the most dynamic economy. If you look at somewhere like Kenya, it is very digitalized and it's always been a major trade hub as well. But in West Africa, I mean, Nigeria is understandably the largest market there is there. And I mean, if you know Nigerian uh, English people, I mean, let's say London or Lagosians, you know, uh, they're both from London, they're both from Lagos. You know, you can't divide the two. I mean, they're incredible entrepreneurs. It's extraordinary the stuff they're doing. And then, I mean, all across Africa, and you take Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal, I mean, there are so many other countries which are really interesting in terms of the, the things they're doing. So it's not so much about this this way of looking at Africa, which is always that it is some kind of, uh, yeah, victim. I mean, I just see it totally the other way around. When you go there, you realize they've sold a lot of stuff. Uh, they've solved things that we haven't even begun to solve ourselves. I mean, if you take the case of Kenya, if you, if you look at M-Pesa, that's now been four, 15 years that they've been using mobile money. There are still many Americans who get out their checkbook from the Bank of yeah. Wichita, right? Mm. Okay. Yeah. And people are standing there saying, you know, I, I've heard people saying Africa backward. I'm like, backward? 
Because also, it's the ingenuity of them. Um, if you take them innovation, as a, you know, that, what is that phrase? Necessity breeds innovation. Exactly, and they're so smart. But you give them an inch, and they take an absolute foot in terms of opportunity in building a business. So just take something like WhatsApp. Okay, there are many people in Africa who have tiny micro businesses. Let's say they buy, uh, they pick up old shoes, they clean them up, and then they sell them on for like a dollar more. But there's a guy I know who's in Tanzania, and the way he uh, promotes himself is on his WhatsApp group. His photograph that day is the shoes with the price. Someone likes it, says, I want it. He pops around, he sells it. And that's a nice circle. But that's the tiniest window of opportunity. And when it comes to ingenuity, actually, I mean, I've met so many different African traders that constantly changing, fully understanding how the value chain works, seeing the opportunities. But the most brilliant one I think I've ever come across was the odd shoe merchant in um, Kigali. Uh, in Rwanda. And they have a, a secondhand shoe market there in Kimin Ronku. It's been going for years. And when you go in there, all the different traders, there were loads and loads of shoes and they have flags above the stalls. And the flags actually are local football teams. And so if you're from that football team, you supposedly get a discount. But there was one guy there who had uh, various men who had these toothbrushes and they were cleaning these shoes. And I just said to the, the guys going around with, who exactly is this guy? And they said, yeah, he's the odd shoe salesman. I'm like, that's what? How does that work? Anyway, so we sat down to talk to him, and it turns out it's a very lucrative business. This guy had been a, a shoe merchant for ages, and he realized there was a gap in the market, which is there are very often loads of odd shoes. So he, <laughs> he actually became an expert at matching them. And so the thing is, he knew all the different traders. He'd go around and say, I'll take all your odd shoes off you. Again, they're like, sure, take them, take them. He could match them. He once actually matched like some trainers, um, one from Congo and the other from Uganda. Perfect match as well. But what I realized talking to him after a while was actually his genius was understanding how shoes feel on your feet, right? Because what he was aiming for was the market of people spending a dollar, a dollar fifty, right, for the shoes. So the thing is, if you're a laborer in the fields, as long as the shoes, both of them feel exactly right on your feet, you don't care if they're different colors. No. They're going to be covered. Mm-hmm. In- I, I don't care. My so, wife might. Yeah, but I'm told it's a very lucrative business. So I'm like, entrepreneurship, making shoes out of odd shoes across Africa. And now a quick word from our sponsor. The one-stop shop for all your legal and accounting needs. If you're in the UK or overseas. The one-stop shop for all your legal and accounting needs. If your company's big or small, they can help you all. Straight Talking Financial Advice since 1935. And that was the amazing Christopher Reese. Big up, Chris. Spell R-E-E-S. At this point, let me quickly remind you to look him up and start following and listening to all his music because he's amazing. And maybe when you're doing that, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click follow so you never miss an episode. But mainly, go and check his shit out. Now, back to the chat. Okay, at the start, so you're, you're working on this index. The index is based on really... Just key metrics, you know, digital payments, you know, the the sort of infrastructure being put into place. You're trying to provide a framework from which other countries can think, oh, that's what the fuck we need to do, basically, you know. And we were speaking to Maya from the um, European uh, Economic and Redevelopment Bank, which is sort of similar, kind of like coming along and trying to say, look, I'll give you some money. Let's get going here. Only if they're sustainable, though. Don't forget that. Sure. Only if they're sustainable. The whole sustainability thing, that is something fascinating, particularly the last few years, the way that's really picked up. 
it's nice to see it being picked up. How's it, how is it viewed in, in Africa? Are they buying everything from Amazon on China? Are they all uh, online? Not quite yet, but I think the whole thing about sustainability is actually an area I've been really pulled into in the last few years. And it's because actually a lot of what I've done looking at trade and looking at tech as well, a lot of that comes down to traceability and being able to trace impact. And that's actually what so much of sustainability and ESG is, the whole environmental, social and yep. governance, you know, when well, you look we've at got to, we got, we got to trace it. We've got to understand it first before sure. we can look after it. Yeah, totally. But also, we've actually got to try and see what the impact is. I mean, you know, you mentioned the fact that there's been so many years, billions have been spent to try and develop different parts of the world. But if you look at all the money that's ever been spent, it's very difficult to say if any of it actually had an impact. Mm. Yes, you can see an improvement, but is that related or not? You have huge projects which run for a few years, and then, of course, priorities change, and it just shuts down and... It's gone. Mm -hmm. So the the ability now, what you can do with, uh, for example, like the latest um, AI, you can take satellite imagery and LIDAR imagery, which can go through clouds. So you can look at forestry cover and where uh, plantations are. You can get a farmer to give a GPS track of exactly where his lot is. You can trace exactly when the cocoa comes in and through the value chain as well. If you have that kind of information, you can straight away say if it's sustainable production, you can see even down to a couple of meters if someone has started moving into a protected, protected area. And you can set up AI to warn you about it immediately. There is a fire in this part. It should never happen at this time of year, right? Mm. So the difference is before someone would discover at the end of the season, oh my God, they've cut down 100,000 acres, right? The difference is you spot them and stop them when they've only done an acre, right? So well, all you of can. this technology, you can. Well, you've got limited resources, but this is the whole thing. If you know where the uh, violations are occurring. And also, this is the thing about empowering the local communities, because uh, there's a company called Satelligence, which is working on a project in Uganda, and they work with the local community. And the thing is that when they were able to say there are three farms which have gone into the protected area, about, about 100 meters, they gave the information to the local community. And these people went to the farmers, and the farmers looked at it and said, okay, and they moved back their farms. It's totally different from coming in saying, there's widespread abuse here, no one can farm or just saying one of you is responsible. No, you showed that's, me information. That's so you know? true, especially humans feed off gossip. We've got some problem with it when we hear it. And I, it's like I have a real problem with hearsay. I've, I've sort of learned it the hard way, I guess, or some point in my life that people come to, oh, well, you know, I heard they said that. I'm not interested. That's bullshit. Like, let's talk to them directly and ask them what they said because they were probably in the pub and they made some flippant comment just to make someone laugh. And and what you're saying there is it's so important in, in an area where, you know, what are the facts, you know? And and, and, and it's never as bad as you think. Do you know what I mean? Or there's lots that could be done and you can bring people together. So that's great. That, but is that the, the stuff you're talking about, this mapping and everything? I'm aware lots of people are talking about the areas using satellites, geomapping, but are these just individual companies selling this advice and knowledge or is this being fed to communities by a social? Well, it's growing. I mean, it's growing as a technology. So now everything to do with visualization is totally changing when you can see things clearly. For example, like one thing I saw um, uh, Olam does, they're one of the biggest, uh, they're the biggest cocoa trader and producer in the world. And they have this mapping where you can look at all the different farms, uh, an image of them, the polygons of them, and then they shade them according to the yield. And this is to do with certified cocoa. So if you see there's one farm which has suddenly got a yield three times higher than anyone else, you know they're probably mixing beans mm. from someone else which aren't certified. So there are so many things you can pick up. Or for example, uh, nearly all of the good cooperatives have all of the children registered and they know which schools they're supposed to go to. So if you know you've got a whole bunch of children in this area, and you can see from the map the nearest school is 20 miles away, you know they're not going to school. 
But who's looking at this information? And unfortunately, one of my clients, uh, one of the things you just said there was his new business idea. So I'm going to have to let him know. <laughs> He's too late. <laughs> well, no, everyone's trying these things. Look, there's, there's yeah, no but one way. It's a disruptive way, man. Yeah, it's, it's disruptive. And when you're talking about um, these things, who's doing it? Though? Are these companies? Is this government? I mean, you've got all this, those great um, examples, but where are they from? Big companies. So for example, like the big um, value chain managers, the trade houses, a lot of people have never heard of them. So things like ADM, Cargill, Louis Dreyfus, Olam, as I mentioned. These are multi-billion dollar companies. They are basically trading the vast majority of the foodstuffs we Of course, right? and they buy and sell sugar And they have incredibly complex or... value chains and really good monitoring, which is getting better the whole time. But then there are lots of other companies out there which are experimenting and are basically trying to show what can be done with this technology. Are they sharing the big companies? Are they sharing this information to people to leverage? Or do you know what I mean? A big company like that probably wouldn't be very good at contacting a village and say, do you see Barry's gone a little bit too too far oh, yeah. over the line. Well, it depends on the company, but I'm saying Cargill, for example, that's exactly what they do. They're one of the biggest ones as well. And they have a specific program, which is about actually reaching out to the farmer and saying, we've seen there's this violation going on, or we've seen we can help you with this thing. We realize that your farms are actually much drier than all the other ones. Can we help you in a certain way? So the thing is, yes, they all are trying to do this, uh, the bigger companies. But in terms of sharing the information, they don't share anything. Okay. Information is power. It is literally... It's the new power. gold or whatever. New it oil. It always was. Always yeah. was. Yeah. Is the climate change, obviously it's a problem everywhere except for Canada and Russia, but, you know, is it having different effects in different parts of Africa? Like some are actually maybe getting better or not, or it's all getting worse, you know? It's, well, it's been a real mix because the thing is we're also in the middle of La Nina. We have a second uh, uh, a year of La Nina. You get El Nino, La Nina, different things. But La and Nina tends... Spanish. Yeah, it, La Nina tends to bring um, much better uh, weather to Southern Africa and West Africa. So last year, for example, South Africa had its best maize crop in 30 years. Hmm. Really good rains, great cocoa crop. The same in prospect this year. But generally, in terms of climate change, disastrous. Because if you look at the models, for example, West Africa, it could become impossible to grow cocoa there within 15 years. And that's 70% of the world's 15 cocoa. 15 years, one within five. Within 15, one five, exactly. Because it's, it's you know, the, the, the weather patterns are changing, the rain is changing as well. And then you think about rising sea levels. Um, I think it's over 50% of the population in the world lives either next to a water source or next to the coast or in floodlands or floodplains. So yeah, massively serious. Um, and yeah, we're seeing it already. Wow. Uh, and but you know, in some you know, in some ways, I guess the economy will develop because I mean, you would view almost farming as a sort of base economy, isn't it? You know, oh, somehow totally. we're going to have to get all this shit out the ground. And these days, we're having more like grow, more luck growing them in buildings. You know, vertical oh, sure. farming. No, but, you know. it, no, but it depends. I mean, the thing about Africa is, is is incredibly fertile. And the other thing is that Africa every year easily produces enough food. Why for is it to fertile? Eat. Because China's the least fertile land in the world. They say because it's been farmed for five thousand years and they've ripped all the carbon out. Africa's been around even more bonkers time, isn't it? Yeah, but it hasn't been industrially fun. This whole thing, soil, uh, it all comes out of soil. Soil is almost like a separate organism. It can take 10,000 years to get to the point where you really get it where it's fertile. But the thing is, generally also, I mean, Africa's tropical. Most of it is tropical and certainly those regions. Stuff grows really well there. They easily grow enough food for the whole population every year is they can't distribute it. It's all about the marketing and the network and the infrastructure. 50% of the tomatoes rot in Nigeria, and that's the largest producer in Africa of them. And probably, I don't know, at least 50% of maize that's produced is, is just never reaches market. So that's the real issue there. It's all to do with the distribution. Yeah. What would you say, okay, if you're a business in London or England or wherever, small, medium-sized business, um, you know, multitude of industry, let's say you're in technology, 
do you think you should be, you know, opening up in Africa? I mean, what, what, what should be the approach to, you know, certain countries or anything? Because surely that's an important part of, um, you know, joining, joining everything up. Really. Oh, completely. Well, I think the thing is, it, it, there is so much that you could learn from the innovation in Africa. I've seen just amazing different technological fixes that people have come up because disruptive technology is really about removing frictions. And sometimes the subtlest removing of the friction suddenly means that a whole area opens up in commerce and then everyone jumps on there and, and, and seizes it. So I think basically if you're a tech company you're looking at Africa, the first thing to do is go out there and find out what's going Which on. Which bit? Where go? Okay, well, biggest tech hubs, definitely. So if we're talking West Africa, definitely Nigeria, Ghana, yeah, hugely Ghana. so. In the Francophone part, definitely Côte d'Ivoire and um, uh, Senegal. But I mean, also Benin, uh, other countries. And then when you're looking to East Africa... So that was Sub-Saharan Africa. No, sorry, that's West Africa. West Africa. And then if you're looking to uh, East Africa, definitely Kenya. Um, Uganda as well. And then uh, looking Rwanda, because I mean, that they really, that's where Smart Africa is based and they very much see themselves as leading there. And then of course, the, the biggest one of all, South Africa, which has been a, a fintech leader for decades. And Ethiopia, and where does that where does that sit? Or or, or not for Egypt? Um, not not for great um, innovation. Sorry, Egypt, of course. And I wasn't talking about North Africa. So North Africa, definitely Egypt is uh, one of the largest um, uh, fintech hubs, and particularly for Middle East and, and North Africa, and to a certain extent Morocco, because Moroccan banks are huge, and they're moving into uh, West Africa in a big way. So they're also quite. How's big on the, the interconnecting air travel now? I mean, once COVID pisses off, frankly. once it pisses off, well, God, it was really improving before COVID. I hope it comes back because there's now a number. Number of carriers, which are really good. You got Ethiopian Airlines, you got Kenyan Airlines. They they and fly loads. And they're much, you know, because South all America's always got that problem. That it's like, oh, I just want to go over there. Oh, well, you've got to fly all the way over there. And exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So no, there's loads of things, and also you can do connections via Dubai if you want to. There's a lot of airlines opening up, but particularly Kenya Airlines, um, Ethiopian Airlines, they are huge in terms of the network. What would you building. give them? What would you be your big advice to them about going there and 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 you know trying to do business? Well, I'd say, well, number one, go there with a bit of humility. Number two, go there to be have your mind blown, okay? Really try and find out what people are doing because they are, uh, I've seen so many innovations in Africa and I'm like, man, we could, do, we could use that in London, you know? Uh, you know, why, why, couldn't, why didn't we have that thing? I mean, for example, a simple thing with um, the mobile phone app. This is something that Echo Bank did for Echo Bank Nigeria. In Nigeria, you can often lose 3G signal. And if you're in the middle of using your app, that's really annoying. Well, the app was set up with this technology that if you did lose the 3G, but you've still got your 2G, when you actually go to do the payment, it goes out as USSD, as a, as a text. You wouldn't know. You're just using the app, right? Mm. We don't have that here. I mean, how many times do you lose 3G? If you're in the city in the UK and it's full of people, the tall buildings, lost my 3G, that's it. I, I, I can't use internet. Shoot, you know, shoot, right? Following a map and now I don't know where and I'm And I don't know where, but they would do it with 2G, you see. So the thing is, that kind of thing, that was just one little innovation. So I'm saying you can learn a lot, but the other thing I'm saying, if you want to invest, wow, there are amazing entrepreneurs out there. And I'm just saying, you know, if, if you, were, you were suggesting, you know, the people who were in the heat potentially don't work as harder. But I tell you, if you see how hard they work in the markets. When I went to um, Kantamandu Market in Accra, incredible secondhand uh, clothes market, the intensity of being in the middle of that, in the blasting sunshine, they have preachers everywhere as well, standing up with these massive microphones, yelling at everyone that Mammon, nice. nice. you worship Mammon, so you're going like to hell. it's like Speaker's Corner. And, and just, just insane. But when I was in there and it was all going on around me, I suddenly realized this isn't the underbelly of the economy. This is the belly of the economy. Yeah. This is literally where it is. So I'd say, put yourself in the belly of the economy, see what they can do there. I think there are innovations in Africa which you can scale outside. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Ted for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. 
in the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify, and come say hi on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, at bizwithoutbs. Until next time, it's goodbye.